because we are finally at the part of the story that is the best part of the story, right? We are in this story, not just any story, but what we've said is the greatest story ever told, the greatest story ever written, the greatest story in human history. And we are finally at that part of the story when, which is really the greatest part of any story, It is an important part. In fact, any great story that you've got has to have a few critical things, right? You got to have somebody that the story's all about, which in this story that we're looking at, the main character is God, right? Even though sometimes we like to think that we're the main character, we're not. It's God, the story of God. So God is the main character. You got to have a great character. You got to have the plot, which is something that the character's trying to do, something that pulls the reader in, that gets them into the story. And so the plot of the story is really God creating you and I to know him and to bring glory to him. So I don't know that it gets much better than that, that you can come up with a better plot than God, the main character creating us and inviting us to know him and to bring glory to him. Then you got to have, unfortunately, with every great story, you got to have the problem or the conflict Right? You got to have the issue that, that the character's got to figure out how to overcome. All right? Which in this case is the worst problem that could ever happen. It is sin. That is what's made a mess of this story and created so much havoc and so much destruction. And so there's, there's unfortunately a really good problem or conflict that needs to be solved. And then the last thing you got to have with any great story is you got to have the hero. You got to have the one who comes and solves that problem or saves that person or comes to the aid or the rescue of the main character or whatever in the story and brings about a positive resolution. And so tonight, finally, we're at a point as we've been going over for the last few months where we finally get to talk fully about the hero, where the, the hero actually steps into the story and changes everything. And so the best stories that you have, and we've got a lot of them, have a really compelling hero. They've got a great hero that immediately we're like, all right, I'm in. I like this guy or I like this girl or this is going to be amazing. He or she has got the power and the ability or whatever to overcome whatever the obstacle is, right? And we've got a lot of great ones. And so I immediately just, a few that popped into my head when I was thinking about any great heroes with stories or movies or TV or whatever. One of the ones that I grew up in, all right, as the old man, don't judge me, is Indiana Jones, All right, now how many of you guys have never seen any of these Indiana Jones movies? What the crap is wrong with you? We're going to pray for your soul right now. So, all right, so go home and watch some of these. All right, especially the first three. The Crystal Skull one was a little weird. But the original three, all right, Indiana Jones, he's like the, you know, the guy that goes around and he saves everything and finds these great treasures and saves people and all that kind of stuff. All right, so he is a great hero. So that's Indiana Jones. Then my favorite TV show from when it was on was 24. Anybody down with that? No, you guys have never even heard of 24. Why? Because you're teenagers. How many of you guys have never watched 24? Oh, Lord have mercy. All right, 24. I don't know if it's on Netflix, but go find it. So Jack Bauer, that's this guy. He's the main character of 24. He's like a, you know, anti-terrorism guy works for the government and he's always saving the people. He's always beating up the bad guys and the terrorists. He's always saving the president or the other government officials or other world leaders, right? He always comes to the rescue in, uh, in, in any situation. So then 
So we were down there last week, and so Brad and I went to see Aquaman. Anybody seen that? Now I'm finally caught up to current events, all right? It's out now. You guys have heard of this. So how many of you guys have seen Aquaman? You guys have heard of this. So how many of you guys have seen Aquaman? And it was, it was all right. You know, it was better than some of the other DC movies that they put out. So it was pretty good. We enjoyed it. Um, and so there are a couple scenes in that. Early on in the sub, I won't ruin anything, all right? Other than he dies at the end. It's really sad. Just kidding. He doesn't die. So there, there's a submarine's, uh, you know, kind of moment or whatever where he comes to the rescue. There's all these different moments where he's coming to the aid or coming to the rescue of other people, all right? He does a great job. There, one of the ones I immediately thought of was Superman, all right? The, the best comic book hero, even though we can't seem to get his movies right. But this is a, a scene from Batman vs. Superman, which is really, really terrible, but he's always saving whoever it is, especially his girl, Lois Lane, rescues her off a building. It seems like she's you know, going to plunge to her death. And yet all of a sudden here comes Superman just in the nick of time and saves her. So quick story that I thought of um, a few years ago, we had only lived in, in uh, Atlanta for maybe a year. It was within the first year we had, had moved here. And so our kids were really little and Carson was maybe seven, Jad was five, and I think Avery was around three. And so one night, Angie and I and, and a friend were sitting in Chick-fil-A, which is what you do. And so the kids are out in the playground and they're hanging out and having fun, or so we thought. And so we're, we're interacting and talking. And all of a sudden, our kids come in and Jad, our middle child who's five, is crying. Tears streaming down his face. He's angry, but also mad. You can tell he's really upset. Something bad has happened. And so we're like, hey, buddy, what happened? And he began to tell us that there were a couple of 10-year-old boys that were in the play area who all of a sudden grabbed him and sat on top of him and just started punching him in the face. And so he's telling me this and I'm getting mad. Like, where are these boys at? I'm thinking, man, high school pastor goes to jail for killing 10-year-old boys in Chick-fil-A, right? That's where my mind's going. That's what I'm ready to do. And so we're hearing more of the story. And so it was like, well, how did he stop? And all of a sudden we found out that as he's on top, on these boys are on top of Jad punching him, all of a sudden, Avery is behind us, our three-year-old at the time, and he all of a sudden screams, get off my brother. And he dives on top of the 10-year-old and starts sucker punching him in the back of the head. And I'm like, all right, I like this. So he said, all of a sudden, the 10-year-old turned around and, and so that enabled Jad to get out and they came out of, out of the play area. So we have a family value that says we're gonna protect each other which isn't really what I have in mind when I'm thinking of that family value that we're gonna start sucker punching people. But I love the, the concept of that and the idea that here's his younger brother who's seeing his older brother getting beat up and comes to his rescue, who comes to his aid. And I was really proud of him and gave him all the Chick-fil-A ice cream sandwiches that he wanted or whatever they have there. Ice cream sandwiches, they don't have ice cream sandwiches at Chick-fil-A. Ice cream, sundaes, milkshakes. All the stuff. He got all the stuff. So now if we want to take it a step further with this whole hero thing, what makes it even better are those moments or those scenes when the hero seems to come out of nowhere, right? When it seems like all hope is lost, things are not going to turn out the way that we hope as the audience that they will. And not a moment too soon and not a moment too late, but at just the right time, the hero steps in and, do, and does something. 
Now, in this story that we're in, in this study of walking through the Bible and the story of God, we're now at a point in the story where the hero enters the picture. And he doesn't come a moment too late. He doesn't come a moment too early. But in just the right moment, the hero steps into the story and does the thing that all of us need him to do. Now, in some ways, the, the hero really kind of steps, comes out of nowhere. So just to kind of refresh our memory a little bit, Israel is, as we've talked about over the last few weeks, Israel's taken into captive in 586 BC, right? Taken into a foreign country, Babylon, and they're exiled. They're living in this country as prisoners. And so what ends up happening is they are there for a period of 140 years. So 140 years, God allows them to be taken out of the promised land that he had given them because of their sin, because of their disobedience. And he allowed them to be led into a foreign country as, as prisoners. And for 140 years, they are in, held in captivity there before God begins to bring them back. And so it starts with a, a man named Nehemiah who God appoints and who comes back and he starts rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, the capital. And he starts rebuilding the wall. And then by 430 BC, God's chosen people have fully returned back to Israel. All right, they are now in the land once again, no longer in captivity. But here's what happens next. For the next 400 years, God goes silent. There's no account in the Old Testament after that as they come back and Nehemiah rebuilds the wall and they establish their, their, their land back. There's no record after that for 400 years. God's not talking to his prophets. There's no stories of characters in the Bible that we read about or hear about or things that we know that God's up to. There is a long period of time, 400 years, where nothing is happening in the story. And to a certain extent, I'm sure when Israel's there for that 400 years, even though they're back in their homeland, there's still things are not as they should be. And potentially they're looking around going, God, are you going to do anything? Are you going to fulfill your promises? Are you going to do what you've promised you're going to do? And then the gospel of John begins with this. So as we move into the New Testament, there's, there's four gospel accounts. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first four books in the New Testament, which are the four accounts of Jesus' life on the earth. And in the book of John, which is the last of those four Gospels. Here's what it says in the first chapter. It says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. So this gospel account, John is, is, starts talking here. And he begins by using this, who's the word? Who, who's he talking about? And so obviously not talking about God the Father because God is mentioned in here too. So what John is referring to is he's referring to Jesus. That now Jesus is known as the word. And so immediately what John is doing is he does two things with these few verses. First of all, he connects the beginning of the story to Jesus. 
So Jesus is the word. And what he says is he's not a new character in the story. It's not like all of a sudden, all right, here's this guy named Jesus who pops onto the scene. But what John is saying here is that Jesus has always been a part of the story. In fact, he was there before the beginning. And he was there with God and he created everything and he breathed life into everything. And there was nothing that was created that was, wasn't created without him. And so immediately in these few verses, John connects the beginning of the story to Jesus. And says, hey, this is not some new character that's shown up in the story, but rather he's been there all along. And that's really important, I think, for us to understand that Jesus is not stepping in just all of a sudden, hey, I'm this guy, Jesus, and I've never been here before, and God, I've been created all of a sudden or whatever, but rather for us to see that he's been a part of the process all along, that everything that has happened has been because of him and for him and ultimately through him. Here's the other thing that John does with these few verses. He shows the need for Jesus as the hero. He shows that Jesus is the story in a new way. He's now arriving into the story in a different light. So he is now coming into the story as the hero who will bring a permanent remedy for, as John says, this darkness. This darkness that exists. And as we see through the Old Testament, starting with sin in the garden, that yeah, there is darkness. And who's going to do something about this darkness? And John's saying... Jesus, as the hero, is now coming in as the light. And this light that Jesus is bringing, the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, maybe some of us are new to this story. Maybe we just jumped in over the last few weeks. Maybe we haven't been paying attention all that much. Maybe we just haven't exactly connected all the dots as we've been going along. And so maybe we're asking, is the hero really necessary? Do we really need a hero in the story? And so just to help us understand fully why this hero is such a big deal, us, more than anything else, is to have a close relationship with him by which you and I can bring glory to him. So that's why we were created. That's what we were meant for is to have a close relationship with him. And so that's why he created Adam and Eve in the garden. And in the very beginning of the story, Adam and Eve walk with God because God's desire was to walk with human beings, his, his, the prized possession of his creation. And so Adam and Eve enjoyed that and it was good and they had fellowship with God and there was nothing to hinder that. There was nothing to break that up. There was nothing that distorted that or got in the way, but they enjoyed that perfect connection with God. But then sin got into the way and it severed that connection. Not only did it create all kinds of destruction, but it severed that connection. And we've talked about that consistently because we've got to understand the impact of what sin has done, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. So it severs that relationship. It breaks that connection that God desired for us to have. And so throughout the Old Testament, what God is doing is he's showing us that it is impossible for you and for me, for humankind to fix that relationship with God on our own. Because in order for us to fix it, we've got to be holy. We've got to be perfect. In order to enjoy that connection, that relationship with God, we've got to be perfect. And because sin is in the picture, there is no way that we can do that. 
No matter how hard we try, no matter how much we want it, there's nothing that we can do to fix that relationship with God. And so that's why we watch, you know, Israel struggle so much. They try to obey God and they promise they're going to obey God just like we do. And yet they constantly fell short and it wasn't enough. But the other thing I think God shows us through the Old Testament is that he still wants to be with us. He still wants to have a relationship with us. That's still what he desires. And so one of the first things he does with Moses after he leads the people out of Israel or out of Egypt towards the promised land is he commands Moses to build this Ark of the Covenant. Right? If you've seen the movies, Indiana Jones, or any of the other movies, kind of this big gold box and there's angels on the top and it looks really pretty. But they put the Ten Commandments in there when Moses came down off Mount Sinai. And it was a place where in the early days, Moses would come and that's where he would meet with God and God would speak to him there using the Ark of the Covenant. And then not only that, but also as they began to go through the wilderness and ultimately into the promised land, God made them establish this sanctuary or this tabernacle. And it was ultimately put in a part inside the temple there in Jerusalem where they would come and worship. And it was the place where God's presence resided. It was very symbolic, but it was where God's presence was because God wanted to be present with his people. But it wasn't a perfect system, even though God's trying to make, these, make efforts and do these different things in the Old Testament to show us that he wants to have that relationship again with us. It wasn't a perfect system. So the Ark of the Covenant, nobody could touch the Ark of the Covenant or they would immediately die. And there's stories in the Bible of how a guy reached out and touched it to try to stabilize it as they're walking and he was killed immediately. So this Ark of the Covenant, it, it, you weren't able, it, it would give the people hope because they knew that it represented, all right, God is here and this is a sacred thing that is traveling through the wilderness with us, but they, it wasn't personal. They weren't able to go up to this box and have this close relationship with the box, right, that God lived in. And they could go, when they went into the, the tabernacle or when they went into the temple in Jerusalem, it wasn't personal. It was a place for them to go, but they had to go to that place in order to be nearer to God. And even then, they couldn't go into the, into the most holy place. There was a curtain there, and they couldn't go back there where the presence of God resided because of their sin. And so they couldn't be in God's presence with their sin. And so there was even separation. There were boundaries there. There were things that they couldn't do. And so it was a place for them to go to be nearer to God, but it, they weren't able to be as close and personal with it as, as the people wanted and really as God wanted to. And so it wasn't a perfect system that they enjoyed. And what God wanted was a personal relationship with his people. Now to try to bring a little bit of more of a modern spin on it or to just try to help us understand a little bit more. It's kind of like, if you had a relationship with somebody and I'm like, hey, tell me about that relationship. And it was all like, it was indirect, like through other people. So your relationship basically consists of, hey, tell so-and-so that I said, hey, or, you know, any communication you had was indirect through somebody else. Or the only connection you had was just through texting or through social media, right? And if that was the extent of that relationship, that wouldn't be a very strong relationship. If the only connection you had with somebody was them liking Instagram posts, right? Or them making a random comment. 
that doesn't mean that they're close to you, right? And the same goes for you. you. Just because you like a picture that Taylor Swift puts out there on Instagram, you are not close with Taylor Swift. I know, it's sad. And you need to stop telling people that you know her. But that doesn't make a great relationship. At least it is very surfacey, and it's like, yeah, I think I know them, but it's distant. But what makes a relationship great and the opportunity to grow together is there is that personal connection. There is that personal relationship of that that makes it special and makes it unique. And so it makes it special and makes it unique. And so that's what God and humankind don't enjoy in the Old Testament, even though God desires it and we need it. But because of sin, it's made it impossible. And so that was not the way that God intended it. And so something permanent had to be done. Something different had to happen in order for that relationship to be permanently reconnected with God. Someone had to step into the story and bring a permanent solution. So if you're asking, is the hero necessary to the story? Yes, the hero is necessary to the story. So then we pick it up. After 400 years of there not being any communication from God, just total silence, I can just picture God looking over in heaven, looking over at Jesus and saying, it's time. We've planned this since before the beginning. We knew that this was part of the story. We knew that this was what we were going to do. And so it's time. It's time for you to step into the story. It's time for you to take action. And it's time for you to do something permanent. And just thinking about that just gives me goosebumps. Just thinking what that must have been like in that moment when God looks at Jesus and he says, all right, let's do something. Let's do what we had planned long ago. It's now time for you to step in in a different way. And so John 1, 14, here's how it communicates that to us. So the word Jesus became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Or other versions say he's full of grace and truth. And we, John's saying, we have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. So think about the power in this moment as Jesus steps in, the hero in the flesh. So Jesus becomes Emmanuel. He becomes God with us. You and I couldn't get to God, so God came to us. He steps out of his world and he steps into ours. I love how the message version of this verse says it. He says, so the word Jesus became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. And I love what that, just how practically that communicates it of the power of what has changed now. That now the hero is stepping into the neighborhood. He's stepping into the story. He's coming into our world. And no matter the situation, no matter what we're dealing with, he's come to connect us with God because that connection with God was that important. It was important enough for God himself to send his son to step into our story and into our mess and into our world to do for us as the hero that we needed him to do. 
And so that's what Jesus came to do. At just the right moment, he came to rescue us. He stepped into our world full of darkness and sin and brokenness and murder and adultery and hatred and selfishness and fear and depression. And he brought light and holiness and life and healing and purity and love and grace and freedom and hope. That's the power of what Jesus has done for us. And no matter the situation, no matter the struggle, we have hope because Jesus has come to save us. We have hope because Jesus has come to put us back together. We have hope because Jesus has come to rescue us and to reconnect us back to God. Jesus has come to be with us. So if that's the case, then what do you think the enemy's goal is to do? If Jesus came to reconnect us, if Jesus came to be with us, then what the enemy is out to do is to get us to disbelieve that, to cause us to think that God is distant, to get us to believe that God doesn't love us, that God's not there, that God doesn't care, that we're alone, that we're fighting for ourselves, that we're in this on our own, that we have no one to turn to, nothing to turn to. That it is impossible for you and for me to have a close relationship with God. And he whispers those lies in our ears all the time. And he says, and even if it was possible, it could never be possible for you. You could never have a close relationship with God because of all your junk. God may want that for other people, but it's not true for you. And so constantly those lies are whispered into our ear. That is the one thing more than anything else I think that, that the enemy wants to deceive us of is that God is not there, that God doesn't care, that we are alone. Because he knows how valuable that connection and that relationship with the hero is. Or sometimes what he'll do is he'll try to get us to fill that void and that need for a connection, that relationship that ultimately only God can fill. And he tries to get us to fill it with connection with other people. So then we try to find that connection and that relationship with, with that guy or that girl or one day with a husband or a wife or with friends. And so we try to fill that need that we have for connection, relationship with somebody else. And we try to fill it with other people. We replace God as the only one that can fill that connection and fill that void. And we try to fill it with other people or other things. And they don't measure up because Jesus is the only one because that's what we were made for. That's what we were created to experience. And Jesus is the only one that can do it. And John shines the truth into those lies from the enemy that we believe. And here's what he says in verse 12. He says, but to all, who believed him and accepted him. He gave the right to become children of God. For all of those who get past the lies that the enemy is whispering in their ear, who gets past those moments of doubt and feel like God's not there or distant, 
for all of those that push past those lies that they are alone and that they were not made for connection with a creator, for all of the ones that push past that and realize their need for the hero and put their faith and trust in the hero, they are now given the right and the privilege to be connected with God as his children, as his sons and his daughters. And when you and I not make this hero in the story as some like idea or kind of foreign concept or just thing that's out there, but rather when we make it personal, when we look at our own life and we say, I need the hero. And we believe and accept what Jesus has stepped into our story to accomplish for us. We've now been given full access to God. We have now been rightly related to God, rightly connected to God, restored back to that relationship that God intends for us to be. And all of those people throughout the Old Testament that could never experience that, that had to go through all of these other things. But now for you and I, as the hero has stepped into the story, you and I get to experience the fulfillment of what God wanted to do of God's plan all along since before the beginning to bring the hero into the story. And you and I get an opportunity every single day, not only to experience that close relationship with God, but to grow in that relationship. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but you know what brings God joy when you take steps to grow in your relationship with God, to grow more intimately with Jesus to learn more about him and understand him more and grow in that relationship that you were created for. I don't know if you've looked at it that way. It may seem small and insignificant, but it brings joy to Jesus because that's what you were made for. That's what Jesus stepped into the story to accomplish. Step in. We go to God with our problems. We go to God with our situation. We, we lean into what God may be wanting to do in those difficult moments or we pick up our Bible or we're reading or whatever those steps may be. When we take steps to grow in that relationship with God, it pleases God. And God says, watch what I can do in your life. Watch how much I want to grow you in my walk, in your walk with me. Here's the main point for us tonight. The hero came to save us so we could experience what we were created for, a close relationship with God. So my question for you as, as we close tonight is, what does that look like for you? Are you experiencing a close relationship with God? Are you experiencing what you were created for, what the hero stepped into the story to accomplish for you? And the starting point for any of us is we come to a place for all who believe and accept him. We'll be given the privilege, the right to be sons and daughters of God. And the starting point for us is to come into a place where we accept and receive the hero, Jesus, into our lives. Where we make it personal. And if you've never had a moment where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, which basically what that looks like is, God, I, I want to be in right relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to be connected to you. And this sin has gotten in the way of that. And there's nothing I can do to fix that. So, God, I'm asking that you would forgive me, that you would cleanse me, that you would make me right with you. I'm accepting Jesus as my hero, as my savior. And I want to know you. 
And then when we come to a place in our life where we do that, all of a sudden, everything changes. We're now connected with God. We have full access to God. We don't have to go through some priest or behind some curtain or any of that kind of stuff, but rather we can talk to God. We can bring our junk to God. We can drag it into the light and allow God to bring healing and hope and and freedom from that. And we can know God and experience God on a daily basis every single day. So the question for all of us is are we ready to experience the hero in the story like God wants us to experience the hero in the story? To experience that close relationship with him that we were created for and that Jesus stepped into our story and into our world and gave up his life so that we could experience. Let's pray together. God, thank you for God, this part that we're in, this point that we've arrived at in the story where you have now taken on flesh and you've moved into the neighborhood. You've dwelt among us. You became human. You became like us in nature. Because that's what it took for you to come into our story and to provide a permanent solution to our our junk. God, I pray if there are students in the room tonight who have never put their faith and trust in you as Savior, God, that they would do that tonight before they leave. God, whether right now in this moment or as they go to small group to talk to their small group leader about it, God, but before they leave tonight, God, that they would put their faith and trust in you, receive you as their Savior, and that you would change everything for them. You would reconnect them back to you. God, I pray for all of us that we may begin to live as we were created to live that you were not meant to, experience, to be experienced from a distance, but rather up close and personal, and you've made it possible through Jesus. And so, God, may we experience that. We thank you for stepping into our world and giving up your life for us as our hero. We love you, and we praise you. Amen.